Hey, everybody. We're back with another commission podcast, this time for 1992's uh, Western, revisionist Western, uh, Unforgiven, uh, directed by Car- uh, Clint Eastwood, produced by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood, as well as Gene Hackman and Morgan Freeman. Uh, here he did some of the, the music as well. I guess. At least the main melody. I, don't- <laughs> I, I guess. I, I saw that in the trivia section, too. Uh-huh. Uh, David Webb Peoples is the writer of the screenplay. Uh, who also coincidentally, well, maybe not coincidentally, seeing this is uh, all Sean Ray, uh, Blade Runner and uh, 12 Monkeys, as well as Unforgiven. So We did 12 Monkeys? We didn't do 12 Monkeys. You weren't supposed to notice that. Oh. I think it's one of the... Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was a potential community commission that I don't think ever got traction, but... Okay. Anyway, uh, Sean has a whole bunch of stuff to say about it. I think I have a bunch of stuff to say about it. Let's just talk about a spoiler, because I know uh, Unforgiven had its 25th anniversary last year. I think there's a lot of people in the audience that probably never got a chance to see it, um, since it's a, it's an older, but kind of still modern, it's an older modern classic. Um, what did you think of, uh, Unforgiven as, as well, just what'd you think of Unforgiven? Uh, I thought it was a very strong Western, which I'll come right out and say Westerns are not my favorite genre of all time. Uh, I'm not like super steeped in the history of Westerns. Like a lot of people are, I think Sean actually, uh, is one of those people who really loves Westerns. And, uh, this, I thought this movie was good and it was engaging the entire time. I thought the performances were great. Uh, something about it didn't quite grip me like some other Westerns I've seen. Like I was thinking about it. The proposition was actually a really good one that we were commissioned a long time ago to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 310 to Yuma. And I think I like both of those just a little bit more than this. But th- this was definitely a joy to watch, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, I like Westerns, I think, more than you do. Um, Probably, yeah. I think they're a, a neat little slice of fiction. Like, you know, and it seems like a lot of them have... There's just a lot of interesting things about the quote-unquote Wild West. Like, for example, you could have an anti-hero... Like, like in nowadays, you got Frank Castle, the Punisher, an anti-hero. He goes around, and every time he causes a ruckus, there's going to be cops, and he's got to get away from it. Whereas... A lot of these towns, you could just roll, you know, in in the fiction anyway, you could just roll in and take it over, good good mm-hmm. or bad. You could have corrupt cops. You could have cops that are actually, you know, gunmen and train robbers in another state. You could have, you know, landowners screwing folks under the official protection of the police. It's 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 an interesting kind of lawless or low law type of environment and allows you to tell a lot of interesting stories. Um, I thought this, I, I've only seen this movie once before. Um, I saw it pretty close to it coming out, maybe like 97, 98, mm-hmm. uh, when I was like going through like list of Oscar winners and AFI stuff and, uh, kind of, kind of having that, that voyage. And I remember being very impressed by it, but I also forgot a lot of the details yeah. And as I got reacquainted with this movie, I was really blown away by the dialogue, by the scenarios it set up, by the way it kind of subverts your expectations um, until the very moment where, like, you know, Clint Eastwood gets to be a badass, not to spoil <laughs> if, if you're expecting him to get through Western not being a badass, but mm-hmm. it feels very much like a fall from grace. Sure. Um 
it, like a like a much much worse version of the movie Shane, as far as like you know a a, a, a reformed gunslinger having to go back to to, to the old gunslinging ways. Um, and, and I think that is what what elevates it above a lot of the material. If there's a Mount Rushmore of westerns, especially if we're going to talk about modern westerns or anti westerns or revisionist westerns, I think uh, Unforgiven should be on it. But like you, I, I man, it, it seems evident that it's slightly better than Three Ten to Yuma. It seems like just from a beauty standpoint. Um, 310 is amazing, but like I just felt like this is a little bit more Ur Western. Um, mm-hmm. And I also like I I was thinking because my personal favorite Western has always been Unforgiven, um, probably because it's one of the more accessible and fun ones. And I saw that, you know, as a very young man and I was really enamored with Val Kilmer's take on Doc Holliday. And again, I really like like, you know, badass dialogue and scenarios and that film is just chock full of them um but man i i can't i don't know if it's still my favorite because unforgiven has got this kind of like a slow burn constant like build up to the end it's extremely satisfying when you watch it there's so much great dialogue reg- regarding about what it means to be a good man bad man the fate that we all deserve uh what it means to kill a person uh, the, the different people's reactions to that, like uh, it's it, it's uh, Clint Eastwood said it's a very violent anti-violence film. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I I liked it. I I couldn't stop taking notes for the dialogue that was happening because I just felt like every five minutes there was like a real gem of a scene. Like right off the bat, like I thought that five minute scene where one of Little Bill's deputies rides in and all the men are nervous about all these gunslingers coming to town and he tells this long winded story about Little Bill being out there working on his house and being a shitty carpenter and it just kind of meanders like where the hell is this going? What's the point of this scene? And then it comes to the yeah, I forget the exact words is like I didn't you say that little Bill scared. I just said he wasn't much of a carpenter and it's I don't know. Like I just like I, I, I like I, I I paused and like I felt like that scene was like this little Fabergé egg of just <laughs> trying to show the relationship between Little Bill and his men. And there's tons of scenes like that. And halfway through the film, I was really struggling with how I felt about Little Bill. Uh, you know, because in the beginning, uh, he's he, he, he they, they they frame him as villainous, uh, like the worst kind of banal evil where like he's just trying to get some kind of fragile peace rather than true justice. Yeah. See, I I always run up against uh, limited knowledge, I guess, uh, ignorance, my own ignorance when I view these movies, because I don't know what the movie is trying to say about a man like Little Bill. I know by the end of this movie what they're trying to say about him. He's clearly the bad guy. Uh but in that first scene, I'm like, well, okay, given the time, given the place, the setting here, is this man an evil person? And my my 2018 eyes say, oh, fucking yes, he is. Mm-hmm. He's the worst kind of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1880 eyes? I have no idea. I have mm-hmm. no idea. And so it never quite sinks into me. I'm always waiting to see what the movie is trying to tell me when I feel like what I should be understanding in that scene immediately is something that I'm just not getting. Well, I think it's really, it struck me 
watching this film because like here in end of September 2018 in real life, we are sitting through this hearing about whether a potential judge for the Supreme Court raped several women. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by without getting too political because I don't think sexual assault and rape should be political. But I was struck by the initial conversation of Gene Hackman says like, you know, hey, look. I get it that your 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 whore got her face cut up, but these 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 aren't hobos and layarounds and bad guys. These are hardworking guys that had a little bit of drink and you like insulted their manhood and you know and and the uh, I forget the strawberries name, but she comes back with like unlike you know whore. He's essentially you know these aren't all the time bad guys, and she's like as opposed to whores, which you know by I think Little Bill's morality are. The low lifes, and it was it, it struck me as like one of those sad commentaries by like you know 140 years later, you know a lot of the still same attitudes are are on display in in the way we treat women, the way we see their their role in society, um, and the fact that like these women scraping together money to get justice was seen as something destabilizing to the town. Like the town had this peace that must be maintained at all cost, but you know, as as like you know Martin Luther King Jr. before, and this movie makes the point like peace is not the absence of conflict. You know, like you can't have peace without justice for everyone because otherwise, there's always someone segment of society is getting shit shit on. In this case, it's it's the it's 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 the the prostitutes of the town, and it, it's a mm-hmm. wretched lot. Like. You know, I, I, there's this like big section of this movie where uh, Morgan Freeman and, and the kid, the Schofield kid, are getting freebies from the women and just taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Like no one's keeping account on this. And I just like it, I, I think the movie makes a lot of statements just by just like, I don't know, letting all this stuff unfold out. I do think there is a danger of people missing those points, though. Like, like, you know, getting the, the fact that Clint Eastwood um, had a measure of peace and happiness that he traded for money to, I guess, be a better father, to get a better life for his children. But he's risking his life and his sanity and, and his own peace to get it. Like, there's a lot of, like, commentary, but you're kind of rooting for him to do that because you want Clint Eastwood to be a badass. Sure. Uh, no, I think in some ways this this movie is surprisingly progressive because like you know i do think by the 1880 standards nothing is out of the ordinary here with Uh what little bill is doing right he's the the women are being treated like property they're being essentially uh their their dignity and their well-being is being traded for horses um that kind of shit and it's interesting to me and i don't know whether this was like intentional when they casted morgan freeman uh but it's never mentioned anything about him being black. Right. Which, in that time and place, would certainly have been an issue. So I, I think the movie is trying to push boundaries there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess I I kind of applaud it for that. But again, I'm, I'm at war. Like, do I want this movie to be more realistic or do I want this movie to be more uh, in line with our, our values nowadays? Yeah, that's an interesting point because I I noticed the same thing. I kept on waiting for like at some point it'd be made that like you know uh, Morgan Freeman is. I mean, obviously this is post Civil War. This is in the late eighteen eighties, I believe. But mm-hmm. like 
acknowledging the difference of his existence. I mean, there's a little bit this guy's living in the edges of society with an Indian woman. Um, so yeah. they're both kind of outcasts in this society. But I mean, that's it, it's it's interesting to see like the you know the path of representation takes in Hollywood. You start off with like white guys in blackface, and you start out with minstrel shows, and then they're thieves and drug dealers and. And then you start to get like I, this is like in the era where it's like, oh, we'll just have a black guy as a cowboy and we won't really mention it. We want like a big deal. Right. Like Morgan Freeman could have been Wilford Brimley. Uh, but <laughs> but have. Clint Eastwood is kind of like like in the 90s woke for an old crusty dude. So yeah, he's like for a 60 plus year old man at that point. But it's like nowadays it's like and you get a lot of that in the 90s where it's like, you know, you'll just have a black friend like on Friends or something. But there won't be any different. They're, they're not going to have an episode dealing with what it's like to be a black person in this you know group of white people in the mid 90s. Sure. It's just they're, they're just going to be there. It's, it's it's representation, but it's not. There's nothing that would like speak to a person that says like, oh, yes, this gives me hints in my own experience in life. And I feel like that's kind of the Morgan Freeman character. He is. He's that neutral like thoughtful kind of representation like this you know why can't he be a black cowboy there's black cowboys so fuck it he's a black cowboy Mm -hmm. we're not going to talk about how he got there who who his father was you know when you know that it's right this is not not Django unchained right 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 (laughs) this this is a very different kind of movie right whereas you imagine if they made Django unchained where it's just him and the German doctor running around and there's no mention of slavery or anything it would be uh, it'd be like fucking uh, the Song of the South. People are like, what the hell is this bullshit? <laughs> this is uh, historical revisionism. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, fuck Morgan Freeman and Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman in their prime were really fucking good actors. I, I want to say that Gene Hackman actually steals the show, kind of, barely, barely. But he steals it from Clint Eastwood, who right. is fucking bringing it in this movie, right. and. Like I, I have to, I have to say, Clint Eastwood is. It, when you ask me about westerns, Clint Eastwood is the number one result in my brain. Right? right. Oh yeah. Like I search western hero badass. It's Clint Eastwood number like, one. Like like his glare from beneath a hat brim is literally iconic. Yeah. Yeah, there's one of those moments where he he puts on that hat in the bar as he's about to walk in or out or uh-huh. something, and I'm just like, oh yeah, there's the iconic shot. Right. They don't linger on it right. very long, but yeah, I mean, Clint Eastwood is awesome in this movie. Morgan Freeman, I didn't think was given all that much to do. You know, he mm-hmm. had that one scene where he had to really figure out if he wanted to go through with the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won't spoil what happens. We're yeah, going to we're gonna have spoilers. to get into spoilers here pretty soon. But I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 And, and I thought he was really great in that scene, but he didn't have as much to do as Eastwood and Hackman. Uh-huh. And Hackman, in my opinion, was just one scary motherfucker in this movie. See, that's the thing. Like, I remember growing up and, and knowing Gene Hackman as the silly Lex Luthor. Right. Or maybe he was the he was the fiery <laughs> but ultimately kindly uh, progressive basketball coach or whatever. And I remember uh-huh. when I first saw Mississippi Burning, uh, and he is like a scary dude on the side of angels in that movie. But, like, this guy, he's... There's nothing really thr- like unlike Clint Eastwood. You see Clint Eastwood like drinking at a bar, and I feel like most people see that there's a dangerous energy about this guy. Yeah, yeah. Gene Hackman is like he is like the friendly kind of kindly father, and then like he'll throw a switch and get like just super deadly. Like, oh son, you shouldn't have said that kind of thing, and he's terrifying. Yeah, and like 
oh, Jesus, his his the the this stuff with him and old Bob. I think we need to. Hmm. I think here's the point where we're 15 minutes into the review <laughs> and we're 25 years into the movie. We're 25 so. years into the movie. We should we should let Sean Ray have a little bit of his his say, and then we should just get into get into the movie. Okay. Um. All right. So Sean says he wanted to give us a little background in his experience with the movie, which is something we do, and I appreciate this. Uh, this 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 side of him. He says during the 80th Academy Awards, they played this montage of the clip from every Best Picture winning, and after watching it, I made it a point to own every Best Picture winner. So over the next two-plus years, I searched every Hastings, Best Buy, Target, or Walmart near me, Amazon even for that matter, to find all 80 movies. Um, Unforgiven won four Oscars, including Best Picture, and it should have won five with Clint Eastwood winning Best Actor, but they gave it to Aaron's favorite Al Pacino performance. Hoo-ah! Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that hilarious? Scent of a Woman was that year, huh? They gave gave an award to the performance that essentially put Al Pacino into the great actor pastor. Yeah, into post-Al Pacino phase. Yeah, yeah, in in (laughs) post-Al Pacino, and they robbed the Clint Eastwood of perhaps his his Uh. finest performance. And and a performance that really only worked with him, and I think he knew it because he optioned this movie years before he finally made it and said the reason he did is because it's my back pocket because I want to age into this role. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I, it's like I, Clint Eastwood, am going to usher in this new era of modern westerns. I'm going to do it this movie and this performance, and it's it's a damn shame. It's one of those things where, like you know, uh, Forrest Gump winning Best Picture. Yeah, you can defend it in the moment, but 20 years later, it's like really uh, this this was better than Casino or Goodfellas or whatever it it, it robbed something of, but. <laughs> Um, I feel like this movie is a masterpiece, Sean conti- continues. I'll go as far to say it's the greatest Western ever made. This is one of the only West or this is not the only Western I've seen. I grew up in Texas, so I've seen plenty, but it's the only one that takes itself completely seriously. Um, all right. He's got a bunch of other continued like lines and thoughts and ex- themes he wants to explore later on. But as is our want, I thought maybe we could we could run with it a little bit. Um, I talked about. This movie, this movie works on a large part because Clint Eastwood has all of his Clint Eastwood history baked into it. Okay, like you see this, you see Clint Eastwood who should have a gun on his hip trying to wrestle pigs in the mud and you instantly get everything about this character. Yeah. um, And the character itself is essentially Clint Eastwood, right? Like, yes, I've, I've played all of these parts I'm for, I'm, the, for the last X years. I'm now you know. past my prime. I right. might not, you might not know that I have all the moves, you know, you might think yeah. you can challenge me uh, and that I've got my eyes gotten dim or my reflexes have gotten uh, slow, but you know, that's, and then the thing is, is like, I feel like it works because his first meeting of uh, little Bob is, is filmed just like every film I've seen where, you know, uh, 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 John Wayne is the slightly pudgy past his prime guy and a dude steps to him and he beats him silly. Mm-hmm. But instead, Clint Eastwood gets his ass handed to you. And exactly. And it, <laughs> and it, and it also felt like shocking because um, the uh, English Bob, right? Mm-hmm. That's his name. Yep. You, he rolls into town and you think that there's going to be some menace or cool thing. And he he is essentially the wharf in this plot that exists as this mythical figure that's built up just so Gene Hackman can beat the ever living shit out of him and prove that he is a badass worthy of Clint Eastwood taken seriously. But then their first meeting, 
Clint Eastwood is so sick from being out in the rain and so befuddled that he just gets just gets his ass like just just a, a brutal savage beating handed to him. Yeah. Sideline throughout half of the third act. Uh and it's like I I I don't know who else could play that part with with so little that's done to his character to where mm-hmm. like you know when his kid asks like did Paul kill folk? Like you kind of know he did but you don't really know how bad he was. Like, was he a Wyatt Earp? Was he a Billy the Kid? You, you really don't know. His kids don't know. You don't know till the end of the movie what type of guy he was when he starts confessing to the murder of women and children. Yeah. Um, and I thought, like, again, just, just Clint Eastwood, his casting alone carries so much of this movie. Yeah, they do a lot of good work with building a sort of legend around this guy, um, around money. You know, they, they talk about him a lot. Yeah. They talk about how he used to be. He talks about how he used to be. Uh, but I do agree that casting Clint Eastwood, which they cast himself, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, he produced <laughs> and directed, so I don't know who else would. The casting agent. I mean, she had to agree, I suppose, or he had to agree, whatever. <laughs> I just have one condition. I'm uh, filming this thing. I got to be in it. I don't know, Clint. I yeah, don't, I don't I, see it. I don't see it. <laughs> casting him uh, does add something additional, right? Because we know... We know that he does have the moves. We know right. that this person probably is a scary guy given the opportunity. Yeah. Just by just by looking at him because of all the baggage, all the built-in stuff. Right. The, the, the thing that works so well is because, like, you know, um, a guy finding a woman and settling down and then using the memory of the woman to remain pure and to be a good guy is a well-worn Western trope. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, they utterly turn it on its head because he Eastwood throughout the movie keeps, you know, com- like like saying, I'm not that guy anymore. Anyone that will listen. I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of worried. I'm not that guy. I'm I'm, I'm killing a person for money, but it's going to be easy and it's going to set up my kids like he's in full on denial that he can be that mean, ornery cuss anymore. But then at the end of the movie where he starts drinking and he shows up and kills every motherfucker in the room, uh like like that it's so weird because that's that's supposed to be i think you're supposed to understand that that's that's a fall from grace for him and you're supposed to be worried about i, I kind of wish that they didn't have the epigraph where like they book in the movies with them digging his wife's grave and then leave visit his wife's grave before him and his kids leave which is an effective kind of like a you know, like an old vengeful ghost leaving the frontier kind of thing but like the idea that he Possibly settled in San Francisco, sold dry goods, and provided for his family. Like, is weird because to me, uh, bringing old Clint Eastwood back is a man who's going to turn to hard drink and probably abandon his children to the widow of Ned and never be seen again. Uh, and I felt like maybe, maybe that's where Clint Eastwood couldn't fully commit to the ideals of the movie. Like the idea that you can put away that life and try to live an honest one and then go back one last time in this orgy of violence and then come back and like you come back again, like have that big of a relapse. I that that's the one kind of like false note to me in the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at the title Unforgiven and the whole movie, I'm, I'm looking at it going, OK, what does it mean? What what is unforgiven have to do with this film? And I yeah. think at the end he is very literally unforgiven. Mm. I, I think at some point this man had 
outlived, let's say, his previous deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, outlived them, if not made up for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is kind of a tragic ending, in my opinion, because he goes back to those ways. He becomes, you know, he may have been forgiven at one point, but he's going to see little Bill in hell. Yeah. Like, th- this is a man he, who he relapsed and, and was unforgiven for his, his deeds. He achieved a state of grace and then was... Right. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I actually, I think that's my new favorite take on the title of Unforgiven. Because <laughs> okay. I was thinking the same thing, like... The fact that, like, it was all a sham or no one can be forgiven or the fact that, like, forgiveness and redemption are artificial constructs that we just put on the world and, you know, it doesn't doesn't really matter one way or another. Um, But, yeah, I. But there's also this weird. um, It's not weird. It's it's some kind of element in there of this woman has identified. I don't remember her name. Something feathers the, the girl who marries him. Uh, the 29 oh, yeah, year yeah, old yeah. who died. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Claudia? His wife. I, I don't remember yeah. either. Uh, there, there's something in there about her having identified something in him that is not what everybody thinks he is, mm-hmm. right? Like she finds, you know, the side of him that doesn't drink and murder people and <laughs> he's a good man. But presumably why he was still drinking and murdering. Right, right. She, she identified it despite all that. Uh, and then she, you know, kind of fixed him for a while. And then she died, unfortunately. And he goes back to his ways. But in the end, they, they do this post-crawl post, post where they say, like, you know, her mother came and and eventually made a trip out there to see, you know, why she would marry this man who, mm-hmm. who everyone said was so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what that crawl is trying to tell us is that she had identified something good in him. And mm-hmm. so I don't know where that leaves him in the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit of a compromise at the end where honestly, I would have just left it at him killing people mm-hmm. and going back to his old ways, as opposed to trying to say that he's killing all these people and yet there's something good in him and he has a decent life after that. Yeah. Like how did he, the problem of having Claudia, his wife like civilize him is once he finds his way back to drink and wickedness, then what? I guess he's, I mean, maybe he's still the memory of her that brings him back. But that's the other thing. I, cause like, you know, speaking of like sign of the times, like the idea, like how old do you think his oldest boy was? 10? Yeah. I was thinking like eight, 10, somewhere in there. And he just leaves them at the house and is like, take care yeah. of your daughter. This is no, sister. I love this. I'll be back in a few weeks. Like if you get into trouble, ride for so-and-so's yeah, house. Kill a chicken, go see devil tree, whatever. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't like planned or anything. It's just mm-hmm. like, this is what's going to happen. And, and, and like that, I, I figured cause it'd been a long time since and I, I couldn't remember. Cause I remember thinking that they play a lot with like, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And I remember, uh, Gene Hackman as being the bad guy, but also like, again, in the middle of this movie where he's lecturing the journalist on what it's like to be a lawman versus a outlaw. And, and I'm like, huh, maybe like, this is another thing where I, I saw something when I was 18 and I'm going to see it later and I'll completely have a different opinion. Um, but it didn't change this time I was I was watching. I'm like, I wonder if he's abandoning his children. So like when he turns into a complete monster at the end of the film, you won't worry about him over much. Hmm. It's like, yeah, but I, I thought that was I, I kept on thinking about what, you know, when the Schofield kid rides up on him, he's like, I was worried that you might have been somebody wanting to settle old score. It's like, man, to be an old gunslinger. 
So like you kill all your rivals, you find a you know, you find a woman, she civilizes you, you go out and you try to raise hogs. Like but you never even if you kill all your rivals, like you're not, you're 10, 15 years away from their kids coming up and being like, you shot my paw <laughs> and I'm calling you out. Like at what point would he ever be done with that life? Yeah. Um, I also, you know, Loki, like that's the other thing I always think is funny is these guys taking wanted posters, which are shitty tra- charcoal drawings. Jesus. Yeah. And then like from 500 yards, like, yeah, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. No, no binoculars or scope. Just like, yeah, that's this. That's the son of a bitch to fu- the, the, <laughs> that, that meets this description. Like I always, I always think that's so hilarious Yeah, with how many misdiagnoses we get with modern, like cameras and dna and fingerprints and all that shit these guys are hunting down and killing men based on police sketches and and really just sad ones at that like i laughed out loud when those when they showed those pieces of paper yeah because of how ridiculous the whole idea is yeah yeah um i mean i saw like i, I guess there was like usually like identifying marks like tattoos or this guy's missing this teeth or that like but still mm-hmm. but still um but yeah, no, I was like, man, to be a guy like Clint Eastwood, to be done with that life and then to have some 17-year-old full of piss and vinegar come pump you full of lead, especially, you know, this is everything that tracks true with all my understanding of, of the gun, like the, the gunfighters of old were the really blurred the line between outlaw and lawmen a lot of times. Like I said, like mm-hmm. I, I even think someone like, um, uh, shit, who, who, the guy from Tombstone, uh, Wyatt Earp famous lawman uh was considered an outlaw in a lot of territories too he just decided to settle down and start running this racket (laughs) um i think that's just you know like like it's not like a lot of times they'd call each other out and you'd have this thing at high noon it's a lot of like shooting someone in the back or getting into confused gunfight and you kind of like survive by sheer luck like like i thought it was interesting how clint eastwood said yeah i've always been lucky in gunfights like he might not even be good but like the story they're telling here is that Clint Eastwood just by the end of the movie doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Like he's not scared because he's superhuman. He's just rip roaring drunk. And why everybody else is like, cause you can see they kept in that final climactic gunfight. They kept cutting back between Clint Eastwood who takes a knee and just calmly lines up just the same way that Gene Hackman said it would go down and take out every one of these guys who are fumbling with their belt because they're trying to be out draw him yeah. and they're shooting wild and they're missing him and he's killing every one of them because he just he doesn't care in that moment he doesn't care whether he lives or dies and every one of these men f- hold their life very dear yeah, he he stayed cool. I, I that's probably my favorite scene in the movie is this story about Corky uh, and English Bob's showdown mm-hmm. uh, and and all the stuff that comes out of that because that's you know where Gene Hackman has the line about uh, you know it's less important to be quick and and good with a gun mm-hmm. than it is to be cool headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that scene, you realize I mean he's talking about money. Right, money is is cool what does he what does he say at the beginning the kid the schofield kid says like cold as snow or something like that that, yeah yeah cold as winter uh you you realize he's talking about him and you're like okay i i i like what they did there and that story is just so entertaining too Mm -hmm. like two gun corky Mm -hmm. (laughs) why they call him two gun because he's got Uh, a giant dick yeah he he (laughs) shoots himself in the toe he blows off his hand yeah and then little bob is able to kill him or 
Right. Yeah. And that legend or English grows. Bob, sorry. And they, they kind of play a lot of stuff in the margins. Like I noticed that like, you know, they sh- we see the 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 prostitute get her face cut up. But the next time we hear it, like she got her ears cut off, her nose cut off, her her eyes gouged out. Next right. time we hear it, they cut her teats off. Next time we hear it, they cut her fingers and toes. Like mm-hmm. it just goes to show how like legends good or bad grow in the telling and English Bob accidentally drunk won a gunfight because of pure dumb luck Mm -hmm. and he is essentially traded on that image of being this guy who survived this miraculous gun he went against three guard men and and survived or whatever and you know maybe he is a he he, maybe is a bad man maybe he's pretty good at the gun but he doesn't want to draw down and on on gene hackman at the end no, which who, I thought I would do <laughs> again that the, the, Jesus Christ, these scenes where he's sitting there with the the which, you know, I that's I completely forgot about English Bob and English Bob rode in the town. I'm like, oh, this looks like fun because he's with the guy who stole data in Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, this motherfucker. I hate this sure guy. Is. This guy's face. God, look at him. Look at him. He's going to he's going to he's going to go steal an android from mm. the Wild West right from under Mark Twain's nose. And. Uh, I thought he was going to be they're going to be like uh, like, uh, you know, English Bob is the deadly hired gun. And this is his like, you know, sharpshooter assistant or something because mm-hmm. he's carrying himself with a little bit of a swagger. Like, you know, when English Bob refused to give his guns up, like this guy's got this like smirk on his face. Like, oh, these yokels don't even you know, you know look at Bob. He's so fucking cool. He's like. Yeah, it's because of the story that Bob is writing, you know? Right. Bob, Bob is spinning a, a story of his legend right. to this writer, and he's just eating it up. Right. Um, but then, like, the D, like that's this is why it's such a great anti-Western, because Gene Hackman is essentially reading, like, Wikipedia articles of the real Old West to this journalist and tell him how it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also something funny about... Like Gene Hack, like so, like Clint Eastwood uh, is trying to become a hog farmer and he's terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Hackman's <laughs> trying to become a carpenter and he's terrible at it. Okay, yeah. Uh, both men are kind of like in denial of their like their true purpose or selves, or maybe what Gene Hackman's problem is is he should have just gone all in on building his fucking porch and hung up the spurs, let someone with mm. better and more ide- newer ideas. I don't know, but I think he should focus more on the roof. It's, it's on the porch. It is weird because, like I said, I keep coming back to like Gene Hackman is trying to move the West into the modern era. He's trying mm-hmm. to be like, OK, look, we need to settle this with fines and civic penalties. We need to get out <laughs> of just shoot shootouts in the street and vigilanteism. And but I mean, that just exposes, I guess, the problem of like if you're in the I get whatever the in circle is, if you're uh, you know, if you're not an Indian, you're not a you're not a black man, you're not a woman. You know, you're going to be pretty. It, it's fine. Get everybody give up your guns and we've got justice now. But, you know, if you kid up, if you cut up a woman, you don't even have to pay the woman a fine. You pay the guy who is her indentured right. owner. I, I don't know. That yeah, seems like I, I mean, that's what it is. He's, yeah. got, he's got a fucking contract where he purchased these women. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And they, I, I guess, can eventually work themselves free because I'm not sure how that's just not outright slavery. But mm-hmm. it, it is it is fucked up. But like. Gene Hackman by supporting this system of justice, which is ultimately where society need to move. He's just came down on the raw, like, I don't know, like their idea of justice in that town was kind of fucked up and perverted. Yeah, certainly little little Bill's uh, idea of justice is perverted. I mean, from the very first scene, I'm against him. I 
I am 100% with the women who say that this is injustice. Yeah. You know? is, did he have a monetary... Because that's the other thing I was trying to figure out. I, I want to watch this movie again because I, I really, really liked it. I, and I, I kind of want to do a doubleheader of this and Tombstone for me to be like, which hmm. one? Because I know Tombstone, like the back of my my hand. I've seen that movie a dozen times. Like there's big sections where I can just quote, you know, and there's like so many badass scenarios and it's so, but it's, it, I mean, there's a little bit of like, like that, this anti-Western revisionist Westernism, but not nearly to the extent that, that unforgiven goes. Um, so I kind of feel like it, it's going to end up being more fun. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to watch this again and see, because I feel like that maybe the, his tragic flaw is he allowed his, ju- like, like, does he own the bar T ranch or does he have an interest in that? Cause I, I couldn't Who? understand why he was standing up for this workers and why he was like going to the mattress rather than just, you know, like, like, why wouldn't he whip those guys? Why wouldn't he do something to, recognize the injustice to the women except for he just i don't think he saw him as human no he was going to until the the bar owner the saloon owner stood up and said hey i own these women they're my property right so i'm actually the wronged party here because he was gonna whip them right he got the bullwhip out right and he just didn't use it because he made them pay a fine instead right i don't know like it just and like all throughout the movie, like it, it, to me, like it, it, the, the movie is played out like he was the owner of the bar T ranch. And that's why he was interested in overlooking these guys. It's because hmm. it's because like it's not like he just had a skewed sense of justice. He actually had his thumb. He actually had a fairly conventional sense of justice that he just put his thumb on the side of the scale because these were his guys. But I don't I don't actually know if the movie was telling that story. It could just be that they're telling a story of I don't know. You know, Gene Hackman being a law and order guy, but he's just the wrong kind of law and order. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things like I, I kept on um, like there's a lot of talk about Morgan Freeman and having that rifle and still be able to knock the eye out of the bird, too. But like I thought it was interesting how like Clint Eastwood is seeing if he still got it with the gun and he's missing this coffee can. He finally just gets out a shotgun and it's like. It's going to be that kind of movie like, you know, uh-huh. he's got a break is like it's like you're just showing that these guys have lost a step. And I thought for sure that when Morgan Freeman came time to shoot the bird out of an eye or an eye out of the bird, that he just wouldn't be able to do it. But I didn't think that it's because he would lost his nerve. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little surprising to me. And it was surprised. And that's that's why I feel like, yeah, Morgan Freeman deserved recognition for his acting because it wasn't flashy, yeah. but like where he he portrayed that when he's like, I just don't got it. It's like, it was a surprise and shock to himself. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't know why this isn't working. Like what, what, what what's happening? <laughs> what's, I thought we, you were going to be the problem. Uh-huh. Like I, I, and that's kind of a tough, uh, that's kind of a tough thing to, to tell just with your eyes and your face and your, your mumbles, you know? Yeah, no, it, that scene is really, really good actually. Um, I really liked the scene where they're talking about, uh, you know, like, 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 like that night, um, they're sitting around the fire and there's a firelight playing on all these men's face. And like Clint mm-hmm. was kind of turning away from the fire. So his face is all shrouded in darkness. And, and, you know, he's talking about how dangerous he used to be. And he's kind of like arguing, like, you know, like, Hey, just because I'm going on this killing doesn't mean I'm going back to being an evil guy. And, <laughs> and Morgan Freeman's like, well, you, yeah, you, you're not like that anymore. And you're just a fella. And 
that's the, yeah, how the the light and dark playing over Clint Eastwood's face. That's why I'm saying like this this movie works on that archetypal level, and that's why I think it's it it definitely deserves its place on the the Mount Mount Rushmore. I also really love Richard Harris doing the political argument on the train talking about like the president being shot versus you know you can never shoot a king or a queen because even if you went to do it you'd just be blinded by their majesty oh right and he's kind of like making that argument about himself you know like that adds to his legs like i'm this refined english guy i'm dangerous and i'm cool and it it turns out to be a lot of bullshit but yeah he's framing himself as gunslinger royalty yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and he's he's shot Chinaman for the railroad. Yeah, I, this guy seems like a real asshole. Like what? What the? F- what, why would the railroad company pay you to shoot their workers? Their workers yeah. Like is is that was that a thing? Like at the end of a project, they're like, all right, all you guys have survived. Uh, stand in line. We're going to pay you. And they just went bang, 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 and buried him out there. Like I don't know. I've heard that the Chinese laborers were really had had a bad bad lot out there. So have I. But. That's some Westworld type shit, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of things like also like um, Clint Eastwood talk about shooting a drover. I don't know what the hell a drover is, nope. um, but I don't know. Um, I also like there's like a little moment like the when the one guy comes back to talk about, uh, you know, little Bill building his porch and, you know, him not being scared. He starts off by, like, loading his own gun and saying, like, no offense, I just don't trust anybody to load load my own gun in a fight. I thought that was, like, it's just little shit like that that didn't need to be in the movie, but it instantly sold you that this guy is a little bit more serious than everybody else in the room that's just, like, you know, like little dogs run around the big dog saying, like, oh, is it really like this? Is it really like that? Is Bill scared? Is it? I I thought it was great. Uh, I thought I didn't like uh, I didn't like the uh, the journalist wetting himself. No, I thought that was over the top. That was the one part of this movie silly. where, like, I think a little bit of its dignity was robbed because <laughs> well, I mean, that's just, I mean, there's some some robbing of dignity when Clint Eastwood falls face first in a pig shit, too. But, but that served a story like I, that. I understand that's intentional. Like, yeah. him, I couldn't believe how many times he fell off his fucking horse. I kept the yeah. count at one point. Yeah, it's three times he falls. Uh, but yeah, the, the pissing scene, I thought was, you know, in a scene where a man is falling into pig shit, someone is talking about two gun corky, mm-hmm. uh, you know, packing, packing one gun and a pecker. Mm-hmm. This even felt. A little bit too much. And the other thing is, like, it's to me, I don't know, I could be speaking out my ass here, but to me, the person pissing themselves in fear is a lot like like the Japanese conceit of having a nosebleed when you're overcome by romantic. Like, it's it's a poetic thing that doesn't actually happen. Right. Yeah. Like, if you get shot, you might piss or shit yourself, but like, from fear and like I feel like as much as it's seen in the movie that's like the western version of a nosebleed like a, you're just trying to sell a guy that he's completely scared and he's 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 rolling over and literally pissing himself like a whipped dog does that actually happen like in my I, real I life I just don't know that it happens at at gunpoint like the like I get it having a gun pointed at you is very fucking scary mm-hmm. but it it in my mind it doesn't invoke that kind of terror right uh true true terror like things that you can't quite understand like almost a cthulhu type terror right. might get you there yeah but i don't know i, I look i'm no expert on 
on what makes you piss yourself. I always feel like that of late it's been used more for comedic effect. Like when sure. Arnold Schwarzenegger's threatening Bull, Bill Paxton in, you know, uh, shit. Why can't I think of any movie ever? Uh, the one of Jamie Lee Curtis. My God, the uh, la- no. racer. The no, God damn it! You know that you're just fucking with me. What is no, it? I'm not. You don't know it either. It's a racer. The no. one, the, the helicopter. No, one. it's not. It's the last action hero. It's the spy. It's 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 the spy who loved me. Yeah, no, the spy uh, who shagged me. It, it's it's like it's it can only be a funny thing. It can't be a serious yeah. thing. And this it it was conspicuous because like am I supposed to laugh in this scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And he just like he didn't just little piss himself. He just pissed himself all over the place. Yeah, um, I like the reveal of the kid. Like I really identify with the kid being blind because mm-hmm. I've always thought that like I wouldn't be shit in the middle ages or in because like i until they invent glasses i'm i'm going to be like once you get out within 12 feet of me uh you're you're gone you're yeah. gone right you're gone you might as well be the fucking predator uh-huh. <laughs> especially at night so like i thought that was really cool the fact that you know, here's this tough guy and the way that like morgan freeman exposed him with the classic you know, hey, I, I, I can shoot the eye out of a bird or an eagle. Show me the oh, he's up there. Oh, he's not. And I thought that was really cool and a nice well to tell that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phrase, you're always hell and Jesus with a pistol. <laughs> I love that fucking that, that line. Hmm. I've never heard of that. You're always hell and Jesus with the pistol, the Alpha and Omega. Oh, uh, I've seen this movie. I still haven't heard of it. I had a little trouble understanding stuff at, at times. I like the whole play about the duck. Versus the Duke. Ah, uh, yes, that the, was that was in that that quirky scene. Yeah, the duck is the, 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 the is like I call. I say he's a duck, and he shot him right through the. Li- yeah, um, and eventually the 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 writer starts calling him the duck as yeah, well. Yeah, um, I really liked the. Um, I really liked the the escape the the whole sequence of the escape from the like let's call it the billiards hall. Where they have to get out the back, and then like Clint was literally crawling in the street, and they have to rescue him. Um, I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty good. I also like when they kill the boy, like when they kill the boy, and he's dying there, and he's creaming for water, and like Clint Eastwood's like, "Will you guys give him a drink of water for Christ's sake? We're not going to sh- shoot him." Like that was a really cool moment. Yeah, there are always those weird moments uh, in in westerns where civility sort of takes over like you're in the middle of a life or death gunfight and there's some element of civility still preserved and like Mm -hmm. just humanity right it's it always strikes me as weird and and sort of out of place but Mm -hmm. i kind of really enjoy those moments Mm -hmm. yeah and there's um I, there's a lot of very great lines about like I can't believe you shot this you shot an unarmed man goes well he should armed himself he's going to decorate his shithole saloon with my my friend like mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of oh, there are a thousand great lines in this that's, movie, yeah that's yeah. what i'm saying like it's just it's just dense the script is dense with just amazing amazing lines and scenes of dialogue and also like believable and really cool action yeah. um uh i guess i don't have a lot else to say uh do you want to get more do you have some more stuff you want to oh the other thing is I really enjoyed because like this is such a great deconstruction of the Western like Clint Eastwood did the total opposite of riding into the sunset at the end of the movie. He literally rode off into the middle of a ferocious storm at night mm-hmm. like it's that's great. It's just a little stuff like that. 
Um, and that's makes me even more regretful that they ended the movie with that little epigraph with him standing silhouetted by the sun. Like I felt like him riding off into the storm, like he's this elemental force would have been a better way to close it. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the reasons why, you know, I look at 310 to you and I'm saying, eh, that's a more entertaining movie. And I, I enjoyed it more because the ending of this movie, while being very, very badass, is not as entertaining as I expected it to be, I guess. Right. Um, not as exciting as well, I expected. There's also a tale of redemption, too. And you're yeah. right, that the, the long-running gun battle between uh, what's-his-face's uh, yeah, men. Yeah, Christian and, Bale and, and Russell Crowe and then Ben, what's his name? Plum, yeah. no, Ben, I, ben something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that shootout is just awesome. Right. And it's exciting and it's entertaining and... Uh, this does not have that. And I'm not saying it's bad for that. I'm just saying it's very different. It's and it didn't different. Like, like for example, way. a lot of the pleasure is Clint Eastwood's character intimidating men just through yeah. his sheer force of will. Like, when he goes out and it's like, all right, anybody takes a shot at me, I'm killing him. Uh-huh. And then you see a guy lining up, and he's just like, I just, you know, <laughs> can't it's dark, it. and I don't know if I can hit him. And, and then he if, hands the gun to the other guy. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right, no. right. I'm not going to take that shot. Like, that, it's the living embodiment of the best defense is a strong offense. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy just killed five dudes from point-blank range and didn't get a scratch on him. Like, that's, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, and the end of this movie, I guess I should have seen coming. Uh, it shouldn't be that exciting you know or Mm -hmm. or that over the top because this is a man who just doesn't lose his cool yeah and that's the whole reason he's a good gunfighter so to show to have that be the climax of the movie yeah uh makes a lot of sense but it's also like that's i keep coming back to like i don't feel like i've really nailed the thesis is it's not gene hackman's right it's a guy doesn't lose his cool doesn't lose his head but Mm -hmm. I don't think the point of the film is that Clint Eastwood is like an exceptional specimen. I just think that you're supposed to understand he's a drunk that's borderline suicidal and that's sure, a superpower. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like he doesn't get nervous because it, yeah. he's about to die because he really doesn't care. He's he's ready to go. He's like, you know, I I don't give a shit about hell. I don't give a shit about heaven. I don't care about my life. I've forgotten about my kids. Like I'm I'm just an instrument of death. And if I die, that's cool, too. Like, that's the terrifying thing about him. Um, And like him, he having to lose the things that made him a good man, the the fact that he was a father and the fact that he was trying to be respectable again. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the thing like that robs the moment of it's like true badass crowning glory. Uh, because at that point, it's not even about retribution for the the prostitutes. It's not about providing a life for his kids. It's only about, you know, getting vengeance for Ned. But he freely admitted that they all deserve death. So yeah. there's something very kind of um, truly outlaw about it. Like, it's not about respect for law or anything. It's it's just about these these men, this men connect. And in his eyes, you guys doing dirty by by Ned. Uh, yeah. You got any other thoughts? Because like I said, we got Sean still has a bunch of stuff he wants us to, to discuss. Well, I also like the idea of, you know, be, being very drunk, not giving a shit and keeping your cool. All of those things combined to make your own luck, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he is very lucky in this final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because luck is a thing that exists. It's just this combination of elements that he has that see him through the fights he gets in. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's drunkenness, whether that's keeping your cool, uh, whether that's the other guy pissing himself, 
mm-hmm. uh, and shooting into the air. All of those things combined to create luck mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah. So here's some final thoughts from Sean. Uh, he says, where does this guy, this film rank for you guys on a list of greatest Westerns? Uh, we kind of talked about this. Yeah. I yeah. struggle with it. Um, would you consider Last Mohicans a Western? It's more of a revolutionary I've never film. seen that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know because like, here's the thing. I remember like going back to, to watch the searchers last year. It might've been the year before that is right after we watched, um, uh, shit, right. Like was it the, the man who shot Liberty, Liberty valence. Yeah. Uh, and I was working my way through these old classic Ford films and I saw the searchers. And I remember thinking like, I didn't like it because John Wayne is such a racist asshole piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, like he's this ex-Confederate soldier who still's got the CSA buckle, and he hates like he thinks all Indians are sad, and he's to the point where he's ready to kill a white woman because she's been with Indians too long, and she's like she'll be acclimated to him, and that's the worst thing that can happen, and and it's like he's just a terrible person, but. I don't know why I had that visceral dislike, even though like there's a lot of compelling stuff and some of the finest work. Uh, um, uh, John Wayne's done like mm-hmm. I, I I mean shit clean this way could have been Confederate soldier he could have been some racist piece of shit like there's no hint of that but uh, I, I don't know I don't know why the searcher is one of the first of like kind of anti-westerns made uh, why do I not like that but I do like this movie because that's that's one of the ones that usually people put on their Mount Rushmore right I mean, is it just simply that it's not explicit here? I don't know. It's, it's not spelled out. Like, you, sure, you could use your imagination and say, oh, I bet uh, Clint Eastwood is a real piece of shit. Money's probably an asshole. And, right. Uh, probably hates all types of people. But, like, generic bad somehow reads better than specific mm-hmm. bad. Like, yeah, he's an you can asshole. Use your to imagination to fill in the blanks. Yeah, you know? like, he'll get drunk and he'll murder you because you crossed him. But, like, that's right. not as bad as, like, I just think all Indians should die. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's like there's there's bad men and there's evil, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I feel like, uh, you know, Wayne, John Wayne kind of played with almost being an evil archetype in the searchers. But, yeah, it's like I think this movie is definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, I think like, you know, especially if we're talking about a modern Rushmore like this, this, this it's that's 310 to Yuma. It's Tombstone. Um but like, yeah, going back because like the the old westerns are just a completely different beast, you know. Yeah. It was a lot more black and white and good and evil, and uh, you know the, the the you just can't get away with that in a modern western. Like we're a hundred mm-hmm. years away before you can just make like a happy western again, and even then there'll probably be people be like, "This is a whitewashing of history," and right. Um, he says, I thought it was cool that little Bill Gene Hackman describes his own fate to the biographer. A man will keep his head and not get rattled under fire. He's the one that will kill you, which is, of course, the kind of man that money is, which is exactly what happens in the final saloon scene. But it's also the kind of man that Bill, little Bill was like. It's just I thought it was a blending of the two things he said, because part of it was Clint Eastwood just came up and snuck up on them while they were planning his capture mm-hmm. and just like, I'm here and just shot him without warning yeah and that's, that's kind of what i mean like you with creating your luck here mm-hmm. uh because the you know the entire time the writer is like oh how'd you decide who to shoot first and he's just like i shot the i just shot the first guy i shot yeah 
You know, he doesn't say like, oh, I knew the little Bill was the kind of man who kept his cool and right. would gun me down in an instant if I let him. And I believe so that. So I took that for a shot. He's just like, no, I just shot. I shot the first person who moved to me. You I, know? Was, I was blind drunk. And the first <laughs> right. guy, like I just I just shot the guy that I shot. Now, I, I do wonder how much you're supposed to believe that, because it also was absolutely the right strategic thing to do. It is. And he's got a history with the guy. Right. I mean, they they know each mm-hmm. other uh, and not just from that bar scene. Uh, earlier in the movie, but certainly he's got to walk in there, and I don't know how drunk he is, but presumably not so drunk that he can't recognize faces. Right. So he's got to remember, hey, this is a guy that beat the shit out of me mm-hmm. when I was sick earlier. Mm-hmm. I guess he did. He... <laughs> He, the first guy he shot was a saloon owner. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the owner of this shithole? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so he had one shot, the, the scatter gun left. He put it in Hackman. That, and then, yeah, then well, right, everyone else to, is so busy it, pissing themselves that he just drops to the knee and calmly, methodically kills them all. Right. Um, Sean says, I felt it was tragic that Will, Ned, and the kid killed the boy first, seeing as he isn't the one who cut the girl. But it goes along with Money's line of deserves got nothing to do with it that comes later in the film. I mean, yeah. that is a that's definitely something the film said, because like, what did that boy the way I saw the first scene is that he was trying to stop the guy and pull him off, like how he got lumped into the cutting. I was a little confused by kind of. Yeah, it, it was weird because I think at the beginning he was holding her. And then when he realized what was happening, he said, no, 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 this is not for me. Hmm. And then he got thrown across the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think I do. I do think he was a better person than the other guy who gets killed second. Which I also thought... Because he comes back with the horses, right? right? And he's like, I want to give... The best one. I, I, I want to try to make up for what we've done. Yeah. In yeah. whatever way I can. Yeah. And and the, I think it's hilarious that the the woman who was cut doesn't get a choice in it. And the other women drive drive this guy off without giving her the horse, you know? Yeah, and that was an interesting scene because, like, my take was that the scarred woman was kind of a little, not mollified, but, like, and not even touched, but, like, hey, mm-hmm. that's a beautiful horse. Yeah, I'd like to have that horse. and Or I could sell it for 40 bucks, right. which is a lot of money. Um, And then, then just be, like, I, there's a little commentary there between, like, you know... I don't, but I don't know what the commentary is. Like victims sometimes get put into bad situations because people decide what they need. You yeah. know, um, like 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 you know, being used as like uh, some kind of champion for some cause you don't agree with just because you're a. Vi- I, there's that's uh, I don't know. That's there's a lot of interesting stuff that I would like to explore in a further rewatch that I don't quite understand. And that one, if, and it might just be. Just to underpin the movie's theme of like how senseless everything is. Like <laughs> this guy's the better one, but he gets killed first, and there's no mercy for him anyway. And yeah, uh, throughout the film, Sean continues. We hear whispers of supposedly how badass money is, and it never comes across until that final scene. He keeps mm-hmm. saying throughout the whole movie, "I ain't like that no more. I'm just a regular fella now." And then little Bill beats the holy hell out of him in a bar. I remember thinking the first time watching, oh, Eastwood must be all talk if he's letting little Bill beat the shit out of him this bad. But by the end, you realize how dangerous he is. <laughs> yeah, I remember w- watching the film and do and remember that point where like, oh, this is like an anti-anti-Western where this is like a Braveheart where the good, the quote unquote good guy is just going to get beat. And we're going to leave and 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 Hackman's still <laughs> going to be the king of this town and the whores are going to get justice and... Think about that on the ride home, moviegoers. Like, hmm. every once in a while, Hollywood will do that. And, yeah. like, Clint Eastwood yeah. seems like the guy that, that might. 
He's more sentimental than I think most yeah. give him credit for. He is. I mean, I look at a movie like Gran Torino, right? I was about to yeah. say the same thing, yeah. And and you got to see that the guy has a heart. Or even like Million Dollar Baby, like all that stuff yeah. is, is yeah. V- filled with heart. Yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, despite his rough exterior and, and uh, that there is a lot of uh, pathos and empathy in his work. Yeah. Uh, I also think this is unlike many Westerns because of how complex all the main characters are. This isn't some uh, Western about a wealthy landowner making everyone in town miserable or one sheriff hell-bent on justice and cleaning up the streets. The main characters in this film are people who have made decisions in their life that they are feeling the effects of and paying for past sins that they made without any hesitation in the moment. Little Bill's always trying to big, bring stability to big whiskey, whiskey and make it more than just another town in the West. For Eastwood and Freeman's characters living with fear and regret of their consequences for the actions uh, to their loved ones. That line from Money's daughter to her brother, did Paul used to kill folks? I thought when watching it, well, sure, he's killed outlaws or villains, maybe, but then they reveal he's killed women and children, too. <laughs> this isn't another outlaw, Josie Wales, or Pale Rider, where Eastwood always has a moral compass. Uh, he's not the hero here, or at least hasn't always been one. Yeah, let me ask you, do you believe that, or is this part of the image that money is putting forward about himself believe what like like english bob has very much has an image that he's portraying right Mm -hmm. in this film do you think the money is doing the same to essentially scare the shit out of little bill at the end of this movie like yeah those things you've heard about me they're all true even if they aren't true he's saying it i think okay I tend to think that Clint, there's one moment in the movie where the kid's trying to like zero in. I think it might even been after the kid made his first kill and you can tell that like this, this life ain't in this kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, he, like he's trying to get like, you know, what's it like? What's it like? And Eastwood's kind of like, to be honest, I don't remember. I was drunk the entire time. Like uh-huh. I was like near blackout drunk for my entire gunfighting career. And I, <laughs> I think that's true. So maybe he did. Like I, I think the 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 part of the un, the the unforgiving is that like, what it must it be like to, you know, be a person like that and live such a terrible life to where like no matter what someone told you about yourself, you'd have to be like, yeah, that I, I couldn't swear it, mm-hmm. I couldn't swear it, um, you know, there's like all these you know, like like any skeleton you could drag in my closet, like yeah, I might have killed that guy <laughs> or that woman or that little boy. Yeah, I do almost think that they're they're setting up all these characters as having, you know, images that they're portraying, right? Like Schofield kid says, ah, mm-hmm. I kill five guys. And we turns out he's never killed anybody. Uh, you know, English Bob is, is talking about this amazing gunfight that he got into and how he won it over two gun Corky. Turns out it was a, a freak accident, uh, that gave him victory in that battle. And I think the Clint Eastwood money is supposed to stand as, the counterpoint to all those is supposed to be the guy who actually has killed a ton of people. The guy mm-hmm. who has done a whole lot of, of horrible things. Right. Um, and is the really, you know, amazing gunfighter fighter, whether it's luck, whether it's drunkenness, whatever he's lived through all of those events exactly as people understand them. I think he's supposed to be the exact opposite of what everyone else is saying. Or he's supposed to be the thing that everyone else is saying they are when they're in fact not. Right, right. But there's also, like, I keep coming back to him being drunk the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the best there is. At, he's the best there is at what he does, but he has no memory of it. He has no glory. He's got no satisfaction. It's just all a bunch yeah. of vague regrets. 
like he's a he's a he's a he's a pitiable character. Um, I don't know. There's there is something very interesting about that that like and then that does feel very true to like the these real life western legends where they're not all they're not all good or evil the fact is they were they're people living in a land that was largely lawless and you made of it what it was you know you you uh you you tried to make the best out of it and like and also the setting of this is kind of like the tail end of the era of the wild west mm-hmm. um where there's like no really room for these men and they're not really wanted and um yeah, there's also a, probably a lot of interesting conversation to be had about uh, the politics of gun control, because like this and Tombstone makes a big deal about the fact that like one of the first things these civilized cities did was like ban possession of guns <laughs> within the city limits. Right. Like like even in the Wild West, where it was the rootinest, tootinest, sick shootinest, mm-hmm. like people are like there's way too many people here on top of each other and too much alcohol to have guns in the mix. Yeah. Yet, like, that's also a lot of people point to that frontier experiences of where America, like, first fell in love with the rugged individualism and the, you know, the security guaranteed by the Second Amendment. It's like, but even they didn't believe that bullshit. Like, yeah, do whatever you want on your ranch, sure. But when you come to town, leave the guns at home, boys. Yeah, there's no reason to have them in the town, right? Presumably, you're under the protection of the law. Of the law, right. Right, and they have the guns, and you understand that they are there to serve you. But I also think you could make the, like uh, a second amendment, uh, a second amendment. Uh, God, last night I was driving home to pick up my son from school and I got behind a Jeep that had this, like, you know, the tire cover had this big skull with cross shotguns and second amendment, Homeland defense in 1788 or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Christ, that guy watches this film and is like, well, this is a cautionary tale of what happens when you surrender guns to a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Because now you don't got any like if those if those whores had six shooters and Gatlin guns and shotguns, I bet they would have gotten their justice. So I don't know. I guess it depends on how how you look at things. I think they got their justice anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is like uh, when like Will is at the end and he's hollering out that like, uh, you better bury my friend. Right and proper, and then he just uh, keeps on tack- tacking shit on, like, and I better not hear about any cutting any whores, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna come back and kill you. Like, I don't. At that point in the movie, he's not doing it for any of those women. He's doing it just for himself, and like <laughs> right. he's drunkenly remembering, oh yeah, I'm also here for this and that. <laughs> You're gonna change the town name to Little Whiskey. That's right, Little right. Whiskey Dick. <laughs> so I want to see that on the sign, or I'm coming back and killing right. every one of you sons of bitches. That's right. I better have a bronze statue of me <laughs> where I shot that little Bill. Um, let's see. Um. So he he wants also to talk about. So you had your take on Unforgiven, which is Eastwood was forgiven because of the love of of, of Claudia. She would redeemed him. Uh, yeah. Which seems like the, the more I say it, that just seems like such a horseshit trope. Uh, <laughs> right. You know. And, and at, at some point he becomes unforgiven when he goes and kills a bunch. Because he becomes yeah. unforgiven. Um, he his, gets, dips back into the whiskey. His take is he says I. Uh, he goes, does, it have, does the, the title Unforgiven have to do with the themes of not receiving forgiveness characters asked for in a film? And he gives several examples of these. And then he says, did Claudia's love for Will change him in a way that his old life of being a killer was forgiven, but now that she's gone and he took his bounty and reverted to his own ways, is Will money now damned and can be considered unforgiven? Which pretty much is your take. I think so, yeah. 
He says uh, I mean, that line about you know I'll see you in hell. Yep, and he just says yeah. <laughs> that's that's what he says is money finally accepting his fate in that scene. Like, I I think so. But that's the other thing is. What does it mean to accept the fate if he he just like I I think you're supposed to understand this guy has not touched a drop of alcohol in ten years, drank a whole fifth of whiskey, and then rode into town full of it. Yeah, like what is to accept one's fate in that? Like to me, that's almost like uh, giving up, like in a like like a, a relapse like this, and and like you know what's going to happen. And if you're in your right mind, that wouldn't happen. So he's drinking just so he can work himself up into this. So is that accepting the fate? Like anything that he does in this <laughs> final scene? Because that's why I think the final imagery of this film is problematic for me because it seems to desperately undo a lot of the thesis that the film has just so right. Eastwood can get a little bit of like a piece for his character at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a still, it's like, it still feels like a shrouded in legend. Like some people say he did this and maybe he's a sh- like, but you know, I think that's the film's voice that it's telling you. Yeah. You went to San Francisco. His kids are okay. Yeah. Like what the fuck? That didn't feel like the trajectory of this character, but then, Oh, maybe, maybe the, the, the cut face horror uh, gave him some absolution. That was like, there's some surprisingly, Bridges of Madison County material there between him and the the woman that got cut up. Hmm. Like, I was like, I didn't remember them getting back together, but I guess this makes sense in like a 90s Clint Eastwood Western kind of way. But yeah, I guess I wonder how he found himself back to sanity and sobriety and how he's able to take care of them kids because that felt like a moment of just fantasy um, that the film engaged in. Uh, All right. That's all I got. Do you got any other thoughts, Jim? Sure don't. Uh, Sean Ray, we got one more, uh, and it's a big one. I think we got one more. Um, JFK, uh, thank you for making me give me an excuse to watch this movie again. I thought it was a delight. Uh, also, I think you're going to go down in bald move history as the most prolific uh, commissioner uh, if you're not there already. Uh, we'll have to do a final count at some point. Like when the when this last of this, these commissions we do, we should do like a final count and do like a tally. Or maybe we should have a commissioner Rushmore, <laughs> right? Where we take their forum images and and uh, chisel it on a, a piece of rock. Um, anyway, thank you for having us watch this film. We got one more for you. Uh, thank you for your support of Bald Move, and we'll be back with the next one. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>